When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Warning, creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real-life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Wanna play a game? Oh yeah! Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow. With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game. Killers, the card game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game. Hey guys, this is Brian Bremer from Pumpkinhead and Society and Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. And take my advice and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You won't regret it. your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest is a veteran actor, coach, and nationally recognized voice talent with more than 25 years of experience in the business. Some of his VO work includes a series regular role of Nick in The Walking Dead Game Season 2 from Telltale Games. He's also worked for the on-camera division of The People's Store which is one of the largest talent agencies in the Southeast. But our audience probably knows him best as Bunt Wallace, the mysterious mountain boy that helped set the fatal events in motion in Stan Winston's cult classic, Pumpkinhead. Let's welcome Brian Bremer. So, Brian, welcome. How the hell are you? 
Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great. It's good to see you. Thank you for your patience with my stupid schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Shit happens. It's called life, last I checked. <laughs> That's right. And I'm honored to be the last one that you're doing for right now. For right now. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. For, for right now. Yeah. I'm, my schedule's so nuts because, you know, I have a, a pretty active voiceover career. Um, the vice president of talent development and agency. And then, of course, I'm doing the shows when I can, which is awesome. And I still do on camera once in a while. But really, my main creative focus is voice acting. And so my schedules are just so crazy. Every time I schedule a podcast, I book a job or or something comes up that I have to go to, yeah. to work for. And I just feel bad keeping everybody on the every you guys have all been really patient, though. And I really appreciate what you do. And yeah. it's been great being kind of on the interview circuit. And I, 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 I hope to get to a point in another month or so, where I can kind of focus on it again more. But thank you for waiting and for being yeah. so, I think we've been trying to do this for over a year. Yeah. And I appreciate you, man. And it was great. Yeah, no. You at Scarefest too. I'm glad you ended up working with B. Cause, yeah, uh, that was a last minute deal. Uh, yeah. Well, it was funny because, and I'm not going to get on the, get into the gory details, but it was funny. The main reason I went to Scarefest folks was to connect in person with Brian. Yeah. But again, Shit happens, you know, because obviously he has commitments with the show outside of show hours. Because obviously Brian yeah. is one of the main names. So it was there last year out of, what was it, like 60 people there last year? Guess I think wise? they had 70 celebrities there last year. That's what uh, uh, Eric told. Eric was my my guy who worked at my table. And he, yeah. he said there were 70 celebrities there. It was a huge show. But yeah, anyway, so Brian was one of those folks like Kane Hodder and others doing like the local media circuit, drumming right. up people coming in. So first day we had that. Then just, you know, the weekend unfolds like it does. There was no hard feelings. We should have known. But we ended yeah. up working side by side. So, yeah. so that was a good that's thing. what I was going to get to. So obviously people know Patrice Bopley who is Amanda Kruger uh, from part five of Nightmare on Elm Street series. And I was wandering around because I had a fan from Australia ask me to pick something up for them. A signed poster from the Terrifier crew. Mm -hmm. I said, just pay for the stuff or that. I, no problem. I'll, I'll take care of you. So I was doing that and I came around the corner and Beatrice was there. They did normally these shows, folks. There's usually like volunteers and all to help with the table and all that kind of stuff. And she didn't have anybody. So it's like, cause obviously I I've known her. It's like, all right, come on, let's, I got you. So yeah. I was with her all weekend, but and we, and she was right next to me. Yeah. And on the other side of that was uh Tom Vandale from uh, Sleepaway camp. Yeah. But the other thing from Scarefest, which I th thought was cool. And I always like to say, I have the uh, brain with the monkey symbols sitting there, you know? Yeah. And I'm sitting there, Beatrice realized it once I said something where I go, hey, you're BB, Brian's BB, and Barbara's BB. Barbara across the way. Barbara Bingham. From, Bingham. Uh, That's from, what I was going to yeah, say. I can't think of, uh, we're having a brain fart there. Folks, yeah, so I was thinking Barbara Crampton for some reason, but it's Barbara. Yeah. Bingham. Yeah. yeah she who's from, yeah, who's from Friday the 13th, uh, 8, uh, yeah. Jason Visits New York. I yeah. said to B during a uh, low moment, I go, you know, she'd do a triple BB photo. It'd be cool. She goes, oh, then she really clicked. I, I think I gave, I posted on social media, but it. I'll share it with you. Oh, yeah, you I have, have it? it? Yeah, I okay. have it. You, you sent it to me. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's right. I did text it to you, but it was cool. It's like you had BB, BB, and BB, you know. Was, all right there in that little triangle. Yeah, so that's it was a great just funny show. how they set that up. Yeah, it is a busy show. Yeah, I mean, they did keep me really busy with press, and I like to do the extra events to to get in front of the fans too. My, I think the fa my favorite thing this time was the uh, story time. Yes, Friday Night Rose and me and B and and some other Sleepaway Camp people read uh, stories, short stories by local, uh, you know, Kentucky authors. That was so much fun. Oh, my God. We had such a good time. Did you get to come to that, John? I was there for a little bit before for I went bit. to Crash for the Night. Yeah, because yeah. that's when I ran into you out in the hall. And, oh, that's right. And we were talking there. Yeah. 
We were yeah, like that was cool. past in the night at that show. I'm sorry about that. It was cra- that is a crazy show. There are so many people there, and you know they do a lot of extra events for the fans too. I mean, I like to participate in those anytime I can. It just you get to really meet people and get to know them one on one. So that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah. The only disappointment I had from that weekend is, and I had it with me, but I didn't get a chance to ask you because of how busy everything was to have you sign my Pumpkinhead DVD cover. Oh, shit. Well, golly, man. Well, we're going to see each other again, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll cross paths at shows. Yeah, But the reason I left early Sunday, and it was funny when I was doing my reading because we know everything online is true. Yeah, of course. I don't know if it was serendipity or what the reasoning was. I ended up in a town for a few days post-Scarefest. Yeah. Called Hickory, North Carolina. Oh, no way. Yes. What were you in Hickory for? I had some fans of the show that lived there. They moved oh. there from Tampa. No way. So for those of you listening who don't know, Hickory, North Carolina is where I was born. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I was staying hey, right oh. across on a Cracker Barrel. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's funny. Man. Shocker, folks, in the South. But oh, I, yeah, no kidding. Get in my belly. Hey, that's yeah, cool, but, man. That's awesome. That's really cool. What a small world. Yeah, it was like, and when I saw that uh, prepping again, I go, oh, Brian will appreciate that I was in Hickory for a few days. No doubt. I haven't been back there in years and years, but I grew up there. I was born there. My grandmother and great grandmother lived there. We're from there. We moved around a lot after I was born. My dad, my first dad, I've had three. I'm on my third dad. Thanks, mom. Um <laughs> We had, he was, my first dad, my biological father was in the military. So I was born in Hickory and and that's where she and my dad met. And then we traveled, of course, all over. I lived in uh, all parts of North Carolina, South Carolina, Germany, all over. And then they divorced and, you know, and I was really young when they divorced. And then her second husband, who kind of raised me because it was from, you know, eight or nine years old all the way up till 22. So it was that period where you're growing up. We settled in outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, actually across the border in Rock Hill, South Carolina. But that's kind of like a, it was at the time, like a bedroom community of Charlotte. So I never really felt like I had left North Carolina, although North and South Carolina are very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very different. People don't know, but they're very different politically. Uh, the people are different. It's really strange. I love North Carolina anyway, John. That That's always going to feel like my home. My dad now has a, a cabin up in the uh, Great Smoky Mountains. And my sister in North Carolina, my sister lives in Asheville. So we're still very connected. And Asheville really is just right over the mountain from Hickory. You have Asheville, mm-hmm. Boone, and then Hickory's right there. Well, what what took you there? You had fans of the show there. Yeah. And so you went and to I, there. Okay, cool. Well, there was a musician friend of the show who's going to be back soon that I'm going to connect with. But she wanted to see me in person. So oh, cool. I literally, and I don't know why I tortured myself, but I... I do it and went, jumped on a bus from Scarefest to, I went through Atlanta to get up to Charlotte, which is like, you know, I love people that, that make the maps. It's like, why wouldn't I go from here to here? Yeah. But yet I I go here to here to here, you know? Yeah. That's so strange. Cause it would be, yeah, I was thinking that too. But so anyway, yeah, it's asinine, but (laughs) common sense ain't so common. That's right. But then I got, Chad and Shanda, who are fans and become friends. And so I stayed with them for a few days because they moved up there from Tampa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was just, that's just wonderful. I've never been that part of the state. So it's a beautiful place. I mean, North Carolina is beautiful. There's a lot of yeah. really cool little towns. I spent a lot of my childhood growing up near Raleigh, near Sanford, North Carolina, on my mm-hmm. grandparents' farm. It was a 40 acre farm. And, you know, I remember going to the grocery store with her. And it was a big deal. Like it, it took 45 minutes to get to the grocery stores from the farm. So you really had to plan what you were getting. If you forgot the butter, you were out of luck, man. And they grew all their own vegetables. So they had all that canned and in the root cellars and in the basement. It was a big farm. But but they didn't have animals. So she would go for meat. She'd go for milk and stuff like that. Um, and I loved it. I loved it there. It was so quiet. This was 40 acres. 
And at the time, it was just a little highway really far away from her front door. Her, her house was on the highway, but her front yard was acres, you know. Uh, it was very pet cemetery. It was one of those highways <laughs> that runs through the farm. And I always would think about that when the trucks would roar by out there. And they actually lost a lot of dogs on that highway, but that's farm living. Um, but it was so quiet out there. And I remember that's the first time I really had that complete sense of quiet with that blanket of three-dimensional stars just above your head that are that are millions and millions of points of light. And I remember being out there a really challenging time uh, in my 20s. I'd come back to visit her. And I was out there all alone, and I was just trying to figure out who I was and what I was going to do with my life. And I heard very clearly that I'm a storyteller, that that's what I am. That's what I am as an actor. It's what I am as a writer. And it just gave me this great... It's so funny, John, when you get in that quiet how you, and you can really think and there's, and the quiet is so quiet that it's heavy and there's nothing you can really do, but think about the truth. I miss that. You know, we live in the city, we've lived in Los Angeles and now in Atlanta, our whole adult lives. And I am so ready to get back to it. But cool thing, I am going to do Carolina Fear Fest in God, I can't Donard, I think yeah. something like it. Yeah. When is that? <laughs> I think that's coming up in a couple of weeks. I was hearing about it. It's not a couple of weeks, but it's soon. Um, I've got it on my okay. calendar. February, cool March, thing, something like that. Something like that. I can look on the calendar and see in case anybody's interested. Yeah, but. It's part of the Mad Monster family, folks. So. Oh, is that right? Is Carolina? Is that the one with uh, Kevin Spacey and a few others I've been hearing about? No. Kevin said. Spacey. I saw that too. Where is he? Okay, there's Frank and Con. Okay, Carolina Fear Fest is May, okay. May 23rd through May 26th, Carolina Fear Fest. And um, it's that's cool because it's in Raleigh, which is very close to Sanford, which is where the farm was that I grew up. Yeah. So I get to kind of go home a little bit. And I've never done a show in Eastern North Carolina. So that'll be my first show there in May, Carolina Fear Fest. I'm really yeah. excited because I'll take a couple of days. I'll probably drive down to Sanford. It's, it's about an hour. 45 minutes to an hour from Raleigh, but I think I'm going to go visit my great aunt's farm. She's, she's passed away many years ago. Uh, Is it still in a family though, or no? um, She, in her last years, she sold it for a really good price to her neighbor who had worked the farm after my uncle Ralph died. So he had a lot of sweat equity in it. He worked and he worked and the condition of him buying it was that she could live there until she died. So she did. She lived there until she went to the hospital and died. Um, and it's funny. So no, it's not in the family anymore, which really sucks because it. The, part of the fa- part of that family still has a lot of acreage and farmland out there, but but um, Edith's farm is not in the farm any, in the family anymore. But um, what was I going to say? Oh shoot! Somebody, some, oh, I lost my train of thought, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, you know, so you know that little highway that ran in the front. It was yeah. a mile from the front door. Well, they built a new highway and they did eminent domain and they actually cut into her front yard. And now her front yard is tiny and this huge like four lane freeway runs right in front of the farm. So that sucks, but I'm all, I'm really excited to go back there. Most of the acreage was actually behind the house. So the farm is still intact, but that highway runs right by her front door now. So she would not be happy to see that. Well, the last thing I was thinking about personally, and you mentioned it, I didn't know you had a couple of stepdads besides your biological father and such. Oh, yeah. But would it have been that one during the time growing up, number two, that had told you about trying to learn every aspect of what you're going to do? Oh, that was dad number three. Wow, Jonathan, I'm really glad you remember that. That's my dad, and I call him dad number three. Uh, I do call him dad. His name's Richard Aquino. So I'm in the Aquino family now. And he's actually been my dad for about 35 years. So after my second dad died, he died, he drowned. Uh, At the same time, Rick's wife died almost at the same time. And he and my mother met out dancing about a year later after a respectable amount of time. And when she married him, she had two boys, me and my brother, and Rick had two girls. Uh, the oldest sister and I are the same age, and the younger kids are of the same age. So we were one shy short of the Brady Bunch. Here's the story of a lovely lady. So he's been my dad for 35 years. I, I really don't think of anyone else as my family. But he's the one who told me that, you know, anything you want to do in your life, there are two things that you have to do to make that happen. Because he was extremely successful. I mean, he had all kinds of software businesses and different companies. And he was never like the software engineer or the genius. He was the businessman behind 
these engineers. And he said, whenever my partners and I were entering into a new venture, we learned everything we could about that thing. Educate yourself 100% as much as you can learn about the thing you're trying to do, and then walk through every door that opens. Don't let fear stop you. Walk through every door that opens. On the other side of that door, it may not be for you, but you're not going to know unless you walk through. And so many times, whether it's an audition or an opportunity, we, we sit back in fear or because we're afraid of failure. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. The only failure is not walking through the door. And for me, it changed the way I approached auditions. Like I would turn down a lot of auditions because be like, oh, no, I don't want to go through that. It's too much work. It's too blah, blah. Or I was afraid I wasn't going to get it. Really, fear held me back in a lot of my life. And that was a breakthrough moment for me when he told me that. And now in business and in my arts career, in teaching, in everything I do, I try to remember that. And I try to really hold that dear. A lot of actors, you know, I coach actors, too. And a lot of them talk about their nerves and how they just can't get a control of their nerves. They just can't control their nerves. And I always tell them, you're not going to. Nerves are a part of who you are. They make you do the work. They, they give you that energy to perform. The key to your nerves not controlling you is knowing what you're doing, is knowing that you know what you're doing. I got to be the voice of Mr. Peanut a couple of years ago for two years, right? The planner's Peanut. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've, I've been a voice actor for 22 years professionally. So you, you would think looking at that, that, oh, he must not get nervous anymore. You know, he, you know, he, he must not get the jitters or the butterflies, man. Of course I do. I'm a human being. And I remember driving to that gig. My first gig is Mr. Peanut for Vayner media. And I was nervous as I could be, man. I'm like, oh my God, this is Mr. Peanut. I cannot F this up, right? And and also you book the job, but then you have to do a good job because they could very easily replace you, you know, if they don't like you or somebody higher up the chain hears you and doesn't like you. So there's all kinds of pressure. But once I get there and get on the microphone, it's the same when I get on my mic every day. It just, my learning kicks in. And that's, that's from years of study, continuing education. I, I'm at a good point in my voiceover career, but I still coach every single year with people that are further along than me. Like I'm always trying to learn more, get the, a better microphone, get a better, you know, whatever I can do to learn. And I'm happy to say at my ripe old age now, I am at the point where I do trust my talent. I know that when I get on that microphone or I get in front of that camera, I'm going to do what I do, and I know how to do it. I think a lot of times when actors are afraid or anybody's afraid, they just don't really know what they're doing. (laughs) So of course you're gonna be nervous, right? Lack of preparation. Anyway, so that was life-changing for me when my dad said that. And I I do try to kind of carry that. I try, I'm certainly not perfect and I don't do it every day, but I try. I haven't met the perfect person yet. Yeah, no, not me neither. My husband's pretty close though. Well, he's pretty close, uh, pretty close. (laughs) uh, I I can't say either way. I never met the man, but, you know, (laughs) maybe you will one day. He he, people ask me all the time if he's ever going to come out to a convention. I I just don't think that that he will. I don't think that I think he'd I think he'd find it really interesting for about five minutes and he'd get a kick out of, you know, people talking to me and me talking to people. But I think then he would just be out of his mind bored. He's he's not a big horror fan like I am. Uh, we like different kinds of movies. He tells me I like movies where there are sword clashing sounds, sword clashing sounds, and lots of people die. I'm like, yeah, those are the kinds I like. That science fiction. Mm-hmm. So, but we both love comedy too. So once in a while, we find a really great comedy to watch. We both just watched Maestro. We really like that because he's a piano. He's a pianist among many other things, but he's a fantastic piano player. We watched that one and we watched Nyad together. And it, and we had a lot, you know, we don't sit and watch movies a lot together because he's not a big fan of sitting still. Whereas you know, at the end of the day, if I can find a good movie to get lost in, I'm all about it. Yeah. You know, I do my turn down service in my bedroom, I light a candle, I turn on Netflix or whatever, or Apple TV. If I can find a good movie to get lost in, I do. Well, you know, we'll go there before we go back to the professional side of things. Hmm. So if... And I guess you hinted at it a little bit there with the sci-fi and comedy and all that stuff. But if I was to come hang out at your place and whatnot, we say, hey, let's throw something on TV, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, whether it's Apple or Netflix, that's one that Hulu, whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, cable, whatever it may be. What do you think the, is the most likely direction we would go? 
Probably vintage horror. I would say I'd probably first we'd watch John Carpenter's Halloween. Then we would watch Aliens. I mean, I love Alien, but Aliens, of course, has Lance Henriksen, who's my buddy. Um, and then maybe a new sci-fi series on Apple. Apple does some. Oh, Foundation. Did you watch Foundation on Apple? I haven't yet. Oh, my God. That's an intense show. It's real. It's good. Um, probably sci-fi or vintage horror. I'd say that that's probably that's if you were at my house, that's probably what we'd check out. John. Well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the original Halloween there and yeah. back at Scarefest, uh, another yeah. buddy of mine, uh, Sandy Johnson was there. Yes. I met Sandy. I was, I was oh, myself. And her husband, Dan is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, and uh, to me, that's the I'm coolest not... thing about doing the shows is that I get to meet Nick Castle and I get to meet Sandy and I get to meet all these people. And I mean, that movie for me, like a lot of people come up to me at the shows and tell me what Pumpkinhead means to them. Specifically, that one probably more than than the others uh, has a, a connection to people in their childhood and usually a connection with a parent that showed it to them for the first time. That's kind of the story I hear a lot with Pumpkinhead. For me, the original Halloween is that movie because I saw it when I was about 11 or 12 years old in the mountains with my mom, my grandmother, my two grandmothers and my great grandmother we were on a generations trip through the mountains and we were staying at this little hotel called the peaks of otter lodge in the north carolina mountains and it was the bates motel and you had to walk outside of your room to walk down the hall to the lobby just like the bates motel and my grandmothers and mom they were all sleeping and i snuck out of the room i was sharing one with one of my grandmas and it went and it was in october and it went into this lobby and i swear to god jonathan it was the bates motel lobby it was dark it had blinds on the windows and it had a little black and white tv and there was nobody in the office but the black and white tv was on and they were playing halloween and that is the first time I saw it. I sat there in the middle of the mountains in the dead of night at midnight watching Halloween on a black and white TV. And then I had to walk back to my room and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> well, and that has always been my favorite movie. I got to meet Nancy Loomis at New Jersey Horror, Horror Fest uh, two years, last, not last year, year before. And I, I said, oh my God, we play this movie all the time during Halloween, Nancy. And we will hear you from the kitchen going, Lindsay, Lindsay. <laughs> and she, I think she kind of got a kick out and probably not because I think everybody probably, you know, says that to her. But, but that's a big thrill for, that's probably the biggest, the most fun for me, other than just meeting people that know my work and that my work means something to. It's me getting to meet people like Sandy. So, and she, boy, she was, she is the nicest person. Oh, she's. Nick Castle, too. Never met Nick, but I'll tell you, you know, because I got a relationship with Sandy and Dan, her husband. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not the first person to say this about Dan. He's like Santa Claus, obviously, with a oh. beard. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw him. I didn't know who he was, but I think I saw yeah, him. Dan, and I know I'll get a text about saying this, and, but, <laughs> I, but Dan, you know I love you, buddy. You know, we had a drink or two together. So, speaking of conventions, though, what do you think uh, is the most frequent thing that people bring up or to get signed or talk with you about? Well, Pumpkinhead's squarely in first place right now. Uh, but it's funny, over the last couple of years, society has run a really close second. Um, people are always bringing me steel cases of society or these strange posters, uh, foreign posters, uh, and then, of course, I have a lot of stills from society. And then Silent Night 5, uh, <laughs> that, that movie is very beloved by a, uh, a very a, a, a specific group of people. Um, people love that movie. I've had people tell me they love the first Silent Night and the last one. So, But, but by and large, it's usually Pumpkinhead memorabilia. And the stuff I've seen is just amazing. Um, was, in New Jersey, someone brought me uh, a a graphic novel about Haggis the witch and her three sisters. It was like a fan novel. I'd never seen it before. It's like the whole backstory of Haggis and how she became a witch and her three sisters who are witches. And, and each of them has this, this particular demon that they're kind of in charge of. So it's, that's, that's really fun to see. And that, that's probably the num that's probably as far as the stuff I sign, that's probably the most stuff that I sign, but I'm always surprised. Uh, I was at a show in Canada and somebody had a, a, a promotional one sheet from a television show I did for CBS. 
like my first year in Los Angeles called TV 101. And he's like, no, we love this show. We found it on YouTube. And, and then he sent me a bunch of episodes. So I'm always surprised. There are a lot of, I'm always surprised that people know as much as they do about my career because ah, it just blows my mind. But Pumpkinhead, I, I would say Pumpkinhead's the number one. And like the promoters of the shows, it depends on the show. But most of the promoters know Pumpkinhead. A lot of the smaller, really hardcore uh, sci-fi or um, hardcore horror conventions that are just really into like Dario Argento and like the really hardcore stuff, they will be fans of society, you know, and Brian Yuzna and all the HP Lovecraft stuff. So, um, but Pumpkinhead, I would say is the number one. Like I usually run out of uh, stills from the movie, but nice. people, that's the one people bring me the most stuff for too. Like people just have all kinds of stuff that they've collected from that movie. So that's a lot of fun. And I've been really, it, it is amazing. So I, I had an interviewer ask me once for um, Rue Morgue. He said, how, you know, how does it feel that, you know, people are coming up to you and recognizing for stuff you did 35 years ago? And I said, it's fucking great. Are you kidding me? As an actor to be recognized for anything you've done, any time, and the number of people that see these movies and embrace these movies and love them. And, you know, horror fans are the best i mean these these movies mean something to us i am a horror fan so i know the movies i grew up with they i have meaningful memories with my friends with my family like different times in my life that the backdrop are these movies so to be in something like that that is someone's backdrop that's humbling in in the best possible way it's overwhelming in the best possible way so I feel very, very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to go and to meet you and to meet people like you and to, and to meet fans and, and make a lot of new friends. You know, I always come away from the convention feeling like I have a whole group of new friends and I keep in touch with people. I try, yeah, uh, you know, we keep way. in touch and I keep in touch on Facebook with a lot of people. So I've met some really awesome folks in addition. To, and, and I'm not talking about like the celebrities, although I will say uh, Felicia Rose is just, a doll i know everybody she, knows everybody thinks so but she's been she's something so, else isn't she oh, she's something else all right she's been so <laughs> helpful to me sort of navigating what the convention circuit is as a career because you know she's done it for 22 years now and she really built her fan base at the shows and she's really she has built the momentum that she has and she's talked with me a lot about how she did that what it's all about the very first show i ever did was with her it was a really small show in tampa um, small compared to like a scare fest. Uh, it was a one day thing. And I was sitting right next to her first show I'd ever done. First time I'd met her. And I was a nervous wreck before the doors open. And she turned to me and she goes, honey, all you got to do is give joy and receive it in return. That's all we're here for. And I was like, okay, I, I can do that. Cause I really was excited to be there. I really was happy to meet everybody. And, and, and even at FrankenCon last year, you know, we, we sat next to each other and I love sitting near her. Um, and we would both share these moments that had just happened at the table. And both of us were like that, this is what it's about. It's not about how many pictures you sell or how much money you take home. It's certainly not about that for me. Um, but she's also helped me to navigate it but it's about the moments with the fans. That's all this is about. And I love getting in front of the fans. I'll do anything to do it. Um, the business of the convention scene is, is it is a business. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If you're not a superstar or like uh, from one of the big franchises, like I'm not, you know, and I'm not, I, I, I primarily a voice actor now, although I'm getting back into on camera. So who knows what I'll do next. Um, but I'm very, definitely nostalgia horror. So I'm, I'm niche, niche. Yeah. So for me, it's it's a hustle to to get in front of people to let them know I'm there, uh, and 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 there are a lot of politics involved. And you know, there are you have to shocker. Get the <laughs> you you know what I'm talking about, John? Yeah. But I still love it, and and I, all the people I've met have been fantastic. I've never met an asshole. I've never it, uh, all the promoters I've worked with have been really nice, wonderful people. The agents I worked with are work with are phenomenal. Um, and uh, and I'll do a few this year too. Too, I've, I've I've got a lot going on, so I'm not chasing it or or building it. But I've got several commitments I'm going to do this year, and then we'll just kind of see what happens after that. But yeah. I I was thinking that the other day, if I never did another show, I'm so fortunate to have had the experience that I've had at FrankenCon and Scarefest and all the different shows I've been able to do. Got to go to Canada and met some great friends in Canada that are still really good friends that want us to come and visit and live there and. <laughs> <laughs> it's like to recruit you to live there but um 
Oh, I just had the most amazing time in Montreal with the, with those guys. It was just phenomenal. So even if I stopped tomorrow, I would be just stunned and overwhelmed that I've had the this incredible opportunity, this humbling experience to to really meet people that know the work and and like it and have things to say about it, you know. Or they don't say, have things to say about it. You know, I've had people had definitely had discussions about, you know, why they don't like certain movies I've done. You know, it's like, all right, let's tell me about it, bro. Just the fact that you're watching it and talking about it means so much. So you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. It, you know, it's funny. I'm talking to another buddy because of this uh, that I've met a few years ago who was she's kind of in the same genre i guess i don't know if it's genre you would consider yeah where like she now. does a lot of on-camera stuff then went oh the i got several you. years the vo route yeah yeah and now she's starting to go back to on-camera and stuff and she's like i really want to try to get back into the convention circuit mm-hmm. so i've been helping her navigate that gotcha. as much as i can well so you know not, i'm not the agent per right. an agent per se, but I yeah. know enough about the business to it's one of those. I know enough to get myself into trouble. I'll put yeah, it that I hear way. You. Yeah. Yeah. I understand completely. Me too. So yeah, that's me too. I, I was, I, I was thinking, yeah, I reached out to a couple of shows for her on her behalf and all. I'm like, Hmm, we're probably not going to want to talk to a podcast host, but I know a, one of the good agents, uh, for conventions and stuff. And I said, let me reach out to this particular agent. Yeah. You know, I have a relationship with acquaintance. I said, Hey, mention a person's name. She wants to get back into it. Oh my God. She would, it was, Oh my God, that person would do well. Let me get over to strip throat and let's, so it'll be nice that's to get great, her. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it'll be nice. Cause it's going to be one of those, let the people who do that help her do- out. Yeah, totally. Because if my roof, like I like to say, if my roof was leaking, I'm not going to call a mechanic to right. fix the roof. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'll put her with the people who do that and it are trustworthy and not going to screw her over any of that stuff. So, you know, I'm not going to point her in the right, wrong direction. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But with the convention circuit, the last thing I wanted to ask, and I just recently heard this, and it came from your mouth. But I'm interested in hearing a story. There was a story apparently that you had a somewhat embarrassing or funny story meeting Clive Barker. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you this story? This you is didn't weird. Tell me. I heard this on another hand. On another. Oh show. my god. Yeah, I tell I tell the story a lot because this is this is back when we did Society, and after we shot the movie, Brian Yosna was going to. The Fangoria Convention in San Diego, I think. It was something Fangoria was putting on San Diego. This was a lot of years ago. And in the movie, there's a, a character that basically turns himself inside out and his head pops out of his butt. Oh, that's nasty. And so they have the whole prosthetic that's the butt with the legs and everything and the face is coming out of the the butt. Well, the actor that what he Brian really wanted to take that character and to the booth. And the actor that played that character wasn't available. So Brian calls me up and he says, Hey, would you, would you come down to San Diego? And we'll, it was, no, it was in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. There's this big horror convention and I'm going to put you in this makeup and I'll pay you. I don't remember what he paid me, six or $700. It was a lot for a, a starving actor at the time. So I went <laughs> and screaming mad George was there too. And they, they put, they put me in the prosthetic. And I'm at the table all day and people are just like throwing stuff at me and making fun of me and going, ooh, oh, man. I mean, it was great. I had a really good time. And um, at one point, Brian says, oh, there's someone I want you to meet. I'm like, oh, great. And I forget that I'm, and so they help me up. And I'm so I'm walking around with these legs here, you know, and, and this butt and my face is here. And he takes me over to meet Clive Barker. And I'm like, and I had dentures in too with pointy teeth. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to meet you, Mr. Barker. And he goes, <laughs> nice to meet you too. I said, oh my God. So that's the first and last and only time I ever met Clive Barker. I was in the butt face makeup. And strangely enough, I was on the elevator at Scarefest and this guy next to me, Sean, introduces himself and, and he goes, I have a picture of you from a convention in Los Angeles many years ago. And oh, it's no. a picture. Of, he was there. 
he was there at that convention and he emailed me the picture and it's me a very young me in that butt face makeup and i could not but i said i can't believe this i tell this story all the time and here we are that's the thing about the horror community look at this this is 30 years later, I'm on an elevator and the guy standing next to me has a picture of me at that convention in that makeup. And he's an agent now, but I said, well, were you there? Why were you at the convention? He says, oh, I was just a fan. He said, I was just a young guy. I was a fan and I was a fan of society. So yeah, that's my Clive Barker story. And the, yeah. the thing about my stories, Jonathan, they are all true. You know, it's funny when they tell you to get your head out of your ass, I'm sure Ooh. it's normally in that in that direction they ask you to do that but i'm sure now to be it, clear i don't play that character in the movie that was yes. actually played by another actor but he wasn't available for the convention so i got to wear his fantastic prosthetic and meet clive barker completely well, unrecognized but i got to meet him yeah well it was scary at scarefest there i went to go get my bags and because i had to stay elsewhere because of uh, how busy it is they had some horse, horse races and stuff because so trying to stay there you the show is was tough. Oh, and there yeah. was a great great breakfast place I told text you about. Yeah, around, around the, the corner. corner from the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I go to the hotel to grab my stuff to go where I was going for the night. And I walk I you know, I need a drink. It was it was after Saturday, long day. Let me get a thing of whiskey or whatnot before I go on my merry way. And it was one of the few guests. I lost touch with, but since we've reconnected and everything's good, I hear in the bar, where the hell you been? Adrian King. Mm. And Adrian's just the sweetest person and all. I said, yeah, we caught up. Sure. We had the right in for each other. And I, Hey, let me buy you a drink. And I was just, cause she was with some people. I didn't want to be up anybody. Uh, it's not my style. So I come back with the drink. She goes, no, sit your ass down. Let's catch up. It's been a number of years. Yeah. So it was nice to catch up with her. That's you know? nice. And that's the, that's the thing with the shows. You know, that's, that's it. Day. Yeah. Yeah. It's very relaxed. It's, it's a, it is like a party. Um, yeah. And they, I did, I did so many last year. I sort of got exhausted by it just from all the travel. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't used to it, but um it was a good amount. I've got I've got a good amount this year. I think I've got like just the right amount to, to yeah. still do everything I have to do yeah, in my other in, jobs. Yeah. And in my life. So yeah. Pumpkinhead. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned earlier about Lance Hendrickson. So was that the first time you came across him in person? And what what would you say Lance is like? And what, do you guys have a relationship still? Yeah, we do. I mean, that was the first time I worked with him all those years ago. And then, of course, I got to see him at Scarefest a couple of years ago. And that's really where we reconnected. And now we're kind of doing, we're sort of doing the show circuit together when it comes to Pumpkinhead. Like there are a few plans in the works, hopefully for a full Pumpkinhead cast reunion. I can't talk a lot about that right now because it's definitely in the works and the deals have not been made. But it'll be at one of the bigger shows. Um I got to see him for the first time at Scarefest a couple of years ago, uh, since I left LA about 20 years ago. And we kept in touch, but we hadn't actually seen each other. But it was so awesome, Jonathan. It was like no time had passed at all. You know, he walked into the hall and he goes, Burnt. And I'm like, Mr. Harley? And it was just like, we were right back on set together. And I mean, it, it, it's so odd when you work on movies together because they're such an important, they're such an, uh, an influential part of your life too. And we literally fell back into the same dynamic we had 35 years ago, which was a great friendship and a great dynamic. I mean, we hung out and and, and talked a lot and took breaks together. The funny, here, here's how Lance Henriksen is. We were outside taking a break during Scarefest. And he goes, I can't believe all these people in my line. And I'm like, you're Lance Henriksen. Do you not know that you're Lance Henriksen? He's like, did you see that? They're like lined up. I can't believe all those people are in my line. Do you see that? I'm like, Lance. Lance Henriksen. But he doesn't think of it that way. He loves the fans and he loves what he does. And he's an actor, you know, and he's so kind. He was so kind on set. Uh, and and it, people ask me a lot, you know, how, what was it like to work with him? And you don't even think about it that way. It's just he's such a consummate actor. And so when you're acting with him, you are acting and you're there, you're doing the work and you're really focused and you're doing the job. And 
no ego at all, still has no ego at all. Um, and just made it easy. He and Stan Winston both made it easy. So yeah, I, I'm very fond. I, I, I actually, I, I admire him. He shaped a lot of my philosophy when it comes to how I approach work. Uh, I remember at one point he said, you're going to do a lot of things over your career, you know, no matter what you think uh, or what people tell you about the script or whatever, just honor the work, honor the work, honor the script and do the work. I remember when I first booked Pumpkinhead, I just signed with my agent in Los Angeles and he sat me down in his office. He goes, well, it's a horror movie, kid. Everybody's got to do one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's actually a really good script. Have you read it? Like, it's a really, but I didn't say that, you know, I'm like, okay. But, um, it is a good script and, and it's a good movie and it stands the stands the test of time. I got to see it at a screening in Asheville last year that my little seven-year-old nephew got to come to. I have a seven-year-old nephew who shares my birthday. And that was really the highlight of my year, Jonathan. I mean, he was, he, his eyes were huge. He didn't know what to make of it. And he was just, he sat at my table. He, you know, he, he talked to people that came up to talk to me. He was just in heaven. And the next day his mother said, oh, Milo wants to be an actor now. I was like, oh dear, tell him to be a dentist. <laughs> um, no, but it just, it, nothing tops that. I mean, it was unexpected. I knew, I didn't know that his mother would let him come, but I think at age seven, she thought, okay, it's it's fine for him to go and see it. So, Well, why do you, you know, think it took a while for the movie to have a uh, true following? Was it because yeah, of things like time. HBO and Sci-Fi Network and stuff? That's really when it came into the public consciousness was when HBO showed it. It's funny. I did a TV show called Rectify a few years ago, and we were at the rap party for Rectify. And one of the executives on Rectify came up to me and goes, hey, man, I used to work for HBO. I'm the one who programmed Pumpkinhead on HBO. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you. Because that really is when people started to see it. And then, of course, sci-fi picked it up and sci-fi ran the hell out of it in the 90s. I mean, they ran the hell out of it and in the 2000s. And then they made their sequels and things like that. I think at the time, I was actually talking to another interviewer about this. I think at the time when it came out, it and this was what he said, and I kind of agree with this. It really didn't fit the trope of the 80s horror movies. It wasn't what people were expecting when they went to a horror movie in the 80s. It was not a serial killer. It's not a slasher with lots of blood. Uh, it's more of a fairy tale monster movie. And I think people just, you know, it wasn't Nightmare on Elm Street. It wasn't Friday the 13th. And I think people just didn't take it seriously. And then people thought the name was silly too. I do remember that in Los Angeles. People would make fun of it on my resume. Well, now I get the last laugh because nobody's laughing now, baby. Is it perfect? No, but I don't see you coming up with anything. And that, people, is what grinds my gears. Tom? And so it just took a while. Like, it didn't find its audience in the beginning. And that's what I find with a lot of these movies. It just amazes me. It, it took it, it. And then the streaming, the streaming channels, now that they're streaming, that's where everybody's finding society. Joe Bob Briggs played society. That's how a lot of people found it. Uh, Silent Night 5, Pumpkinhead, all of these, they're, the streaming's really keeping them alive. I was talking to an agent the other day. I'm like, you know, the funny thing about this is these movies are not getting less popular. They're just getting more and more popular. Like every year, Pumpkinhead gets more and more popular in their fan groups and fan bases and, and Facebook groups and all these things. So it's funny that it is funny that something I did that long ago, that's still an amazing part of my life. I, I, I'll never forget doing that movie. It was my first feature film. But now at this point in my life, it's growing and growing in popularity. So that's really cool and 100% unexpected. If you'd have told me 10 years ago that that was going to happen, I'd have been like, what? So that's been a really, really cool thing. And it has made me want to get back into on camera because specifically it's made me want to get back into the horror genre. And I did a couple of indies last year and I had such a good time because now, unlike a lot of film actors, I've, I'm able to meet my fans. I'm able, to, I'm able to meet my audience. I'm able to meet the people that are coming to see the movies. So when I did these two films last year, I'm very much thinking about Wendy and you and, you know, and, and uh, Jonathan and another Jonathan and all these people that are friends of mine now and Eric and God, I mean, I could go on forever and ever people that I've met at these shows because I know they're watching. It's almost like being on stage and you actually have an audience out there in the dark. 
But in film, you don't. Everything's done in isolation. You never meet your audience. You never get that kind of feedback. If you, even if you go see it in a theater, you see it with an audience, but you don't get to interact with people. You know, after I do a play, I can come off stage and I can talk to the audience. They're at the backstage door and we talk about the show and what they thought. I've had the opportunity to do that at these conventions. So now I know who the audience is. And it reminds me once again, storyteller. We're storytellers. That's what we're doing. And we're telling stories for real people that exist. And now I have an awareness of them. So that's made me want to go back. We'll see. I don't know. I never enjoyed auditioning for on camera. I never enjoyed it. I never enjoyed it. I never enjoyed it. I have never liked the process of getting the job. I love when I have the job, but that's not uncommon to many actors. Nobody likes to audition. On the other hand, I love auditioning for voiceover. I'll do it all day long. It's just there's something about what that is that I just, for whatever reason, really respond to. And that's a long discussion. But I know how to audition now, and I'm not afraid of it. So I've been kind of dipping my toe back in the water of the on-camera scene. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'll put it this way. Michael, yeah. Fuzz on a Lens crew, call me. Let's put you in touch with Brian, because you guys do a lot of horror. And right. I, know you guys are, I know you guys are working on T3 now as we speak, Terrifier 3. Oh, yeah. Let's put, you in, you let's put you in touch with Brian. Get them, yeah, give me a good give, give me a good word to those guys on Terrifier. Yeah, that's that would yeah, be a good thing. That crew. And as the as the psychiatrist or the guy behind the counter selling chewing gum, I don't care. I'll do anything. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, John. And I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, but uh I'll give you a commission on that if I get that job. Right on. Uh speaking of the voiceover work, and I don't want to keep you forever. Yeah. No, is, good. What is it like starting in voiceover work but i will mention and we'll touch on this as well is you teach classes over at atlanta voiceover studio i do so, yeah i have for eight years now yeah so what is it like making that jump because if i read this right scary part because the, these books behind me are just for show i don't know actually how to read <laughs> I, I usually go with the coloring books and oh, they're books. Oh, that's why I thought they were VHSs. Okay, oh, they're books. Now, yeah, oh, yeah. There, and there's books. another. I need another one of these movie cabinets over here. But gotcha. what is that transition like? But like I said, according hmm. to the interweb, you came to Atlanta with that rock and roll band of yours, played the Olympics, and kind of just stayed in Atlanta. That's right. Yeah, I did. We came from L.A. We came to play the Olympics. We did. And then the band broke up after we came and accomplished what we came here to do. And I stayed here for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, there was work here. I had moved away from performing after the band broke up and I got into producing and casting and uh, coaching talent for their auditions at, a, at an on-camera agency that I ended up working for and now have part ownership in. So I just really found my way to kind of all sides of the camera and all, all areas of the business. And I think diversifying is a really, if you want to have a long-term career in show business, you really need to diversify and just kind of know a little bit about everything. So I've pretty much what I said earlier with that. Now we right. Right, right. Um, but one of the side effects was I got to be with my great aunt from the farm. Wow. This is all coming full circle, man. I got to be with her on the farm when she actually passed away. And my great aunt was just the love of my life. I mean, we had that kind of soul connection that goes beyond time. Like in another life, we were probably brother and sister or, I mean, we just were super close from the time I was a little baby till she died. And she didn't have kids of her own. So I think she kind of took me in, in that way too. And uh, I was in the hospital and she lay dying and I was reading to her from her favorite book, Billy Graham's Angels. And my old cousin Shelby was in the room and she said, Brian, you have such a nice voice. You ought to do something with that. And I thought, well, I am an actor. I was a singer, and I, you know, but no one ever taught me about voice acting. So long story short, I came back to Atlanta. I took a workshop. I fell in love with it, and I just kind of never looked back. Um, acting for the microphone is, is very different from acting on camera. It's very different from acting on stage. But like my best acting teacher, Steve Coulter, ever told me, acting is acting. It's about creating a believable moment in that imaginary situation. Now, in the case of voice acting, usually you're by yourself. There's no costumes, no props, no other actors. You're creating the whole world and, and no one can see this. So it's not about this or subtlety of expression. So you have to learn how to communicate that truth in the different medium. It's like people that go from the theater to film. 
a lot of times they have to really tone it down in the theater. Your audience member could You're be projecting 600 feet away on the back row. Right. And in film, your audience is right here as close as the camera is to your face. That's how close or the frame. This is how close the person is you're talking to. So learning to make those adjustments on camera, mic acting is a little more theatrical. There's, there's a little bit of a different level of energy that's required to actually get those same emotions and feelings across with just your voice. So you have to learn it. It's a technique. Uh, there's a really simple technique we teach to kind of get you started on it. Uh, basically, it's just speaking to one person and you have to have that person there with you and in your mind and understanding who you're communicating with and how you're trying to make them feel. If I could simplify it, you know, and and that's really simplifying it. But yeah, so it's different. It's just it's 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 a different technique you have to learn because you're dealing with different equipment. Right. Exactly. You're a different environment and different equipment. So, but it can be learned. Now, I'll have a lot of film actors that take my intro to voiceover workshop because we talk about the business of voiceover too, which is different from uh, the on camera scene. Uh, and sometimes they'll leave it, they'll leave the workshop and go, you know, this is not for me. You know, I'm trained, I'm trained to behave. Like, I'm not trained to do what you have to do on that microphone. I've had people tell me that that's, that's not for me. People who I find are very, very good at voice acting tend to be actors who come from a theatrical background and they can just have the top knocked off of that just a little bit down and that gets you kind of where you need to be for the energy level in voice acting. Now, not all the time. Sometimes it's very small and very subtle, but in the commercial world, in the animation world, that, that energy level tends to be a little bit broader. Now, video games are different. You know, I'm in the Walking Dead video game and that was very much like film acting. You know, my character in the Walking Dead game feels responsible for his mother's death. He left the kitchen door open and a zombie came in and ate her. <laughs> and there's a scene where and there's a scene where he cries. You know, my character had to cry. Um, and so video games tend to be a lot more serious and they can be very, very, very grounded in in more of that kind of filmic. Uh, I hate to even call it film acting. Like I said, Jonathan, acting's acting. It's it's the truth of whatever moment you're trying to portray and using the technology, whether it's a camera or a microphone, to get that emo to get that emotion from your audience get that buy-in i was going to say because you teach the intro classes but you also teach intro to animation i do and yeah. i would think there's a difference between the just doing regular vo work whether you're doing commercials and commercials or movie reads or whatever than right. doing animation for whether it's cartoons, video games. Oh, yeah. I would think there's a difference between the animation. That's, very and... big. Yeah, that's a big difference. Animation really is the character acting of the voiceover world, whereas nine times, most of the time in other forms of voiceover, you're really just speaking from your authentic voice. Uh, a lot of times that happens in animation too. And there's animation commercials as well. Um, but in animation, it can be very high level, high energy animation, which is like the little kids shows where all the voices are kind of up here and all the, all the emotions are really elevated. You're not just happy, you're happy, you know, and you have to be able to get that appropriate energy level. But there's also conversational animation like BoJack Horseman, where you're just, it's, and there are a lot of celebrities on that show, but where you're just having conversation. But even in conversational animation, when the stakes are higher, meaning when people are angry or people are, are emotional or upset for any reason, the energy level, it tends to lean towards the energy. Um, but then in video games, it can be very conversational. But it's, yeah, it's different. It's different in its variety. If you want to be a successful animation actor, you really do have to be a multi-voiced actor. Because if I'm producing an animated series, let's say, I can hire you to do up to three voices in my series and pay you the same day rate. So I'm going to hire an actor that can give me three distinct characters, right? So learning how to use your different registers and ranges to create the different sounds from your instrument, right? The different sounds from your body is really, really important. If you look at D Baker, who is like the most prolific animal creature effects noisemaker in the world and go to dbaker.com, you'll kind of see what I mean. But learning the variety, like where the different voices come from, is is critical but then you have to have the level of acting skill behind it to give those character a world view to give them a way they look at the world an attitude something they want like you can't you can't ever mistake animation for being just a silly voice it's there's got to be life behind the characters that way the audience leans in and they connect and they relate to the characters and that's that's acting i mean that's mm -hmm. acting the people who are working are not just doing silly crazy voices they are they are building fully fleshed out characters. So it's a little more complicated than its process, I would say. 
and then say commercial or narration. Uh, it's a skill level that not everyone possesses or wants to possess or even wants to be a part of. Um, but, you know, to me, it's just another way to expand your craft, you know, to learn more about your craft and hey, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. But well, it is different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, where would you figure out somebody's skill? Because when you get these students to come in, because as you were saying that with the different aspects, mm -hmm. and I just started watching Ted on Peacock, the series, mm -hmm. but obviously I think of the first movie and yeah. obviously everybody knows Patrick Stewart, yeah. Star Trek and everything he's done throughout his career. And he did the voiceover for the intro of the movie, like the mm -hmm. intro narration. And it was obviously it's funny as hell and it's not the most pg or pc i should say sure or is it somebody like a patrick stewart that brings the humor to what he was the story he was trying to convey for that voiceover or is it how would you describe that if you know where i'm I going with that I do. I think it's innate talent. I think you can recognize innate talent. I think Patrick Stewart is is bringing him to it and his own sensibility. He's interpreting that material and he's giving a take on it. And the director probably works with him too to like figure out the tone and you know how exactly they want it to be. It, an actor's talent is one hundred percent essential, but it's definitely a collaborative effort. You know, you can't really do anything without the team, your directors, your coaches, your, and all your people. Well, no matter where you are, any actor will tell you that. As far as how you identify a person's skill level, I, I since I do teach the intro classes, and those are my favorite classes, because I'll get I'll get a combination of very skilled actors who've just never done voiceover who want to come in and find out about it, and people who have just heard they have a great voice, which is you know, uh, or, or who have no acting experience at all that come in. So I get to kind of gauge. And I was talking with somebody else about this the other day. You can kind of gauge when somebody has an intuitive talent. They just have that intuition and they have that intuitive skill, whether they're a seasoned actor or they've never done it before. And then you can tell there's a certain person that has the potential, but they need to train and they need to learn. Now, all actors will tell you they're constantly training, but you know what I mean? You see the, you see the raw material and you go, ah, yeah. And then you have people with no experience at all who just come in and have this incredible uh, gift and they've, and they've just never explored it. So there's kind of those three levels. I do think just about everything that we do can be learned. It can be taught. There may be things that you're experiencing personally that, that hold you back from doing those things. Those have to be overcome. And that's not acting training. That's more like self-awareness because you do have to be very, very self-aware, very sure of who you are uh, in, in order to have a successful career in anything, I think. But, but, you know, what am I saying? Oh yeah. But a lot of what we do can be taught. I have taught a lot of people who you would think come to the table with nothing but the desire and then end up doing a demo and getting an agent and having a great career. A lot of it can be taught, but there is a certain amount. There, there are some people that have a little bit of a head start if they have that that innate talent. They're just kind of born with it. But I don't think it's this big mysterious thing. It's almost like being psychic or talking to dead people. I think everybody can probably do it, but how many of us actually pay attention to it, you know, and actually exercise and work that muscle, right? None, hardly, hardly. But I think whatever you focus on, if you have the desire to drive and the right teachers, I think it can be learned. Yeah, because but I think it is. Because I think in a recent story I heard when it comes to the voiceover and what you're just saying there, having the innate talent and such is the guy who is now, I can't think of his name, forgive me folks, but he was hired to do Mickey Mouse for like the TV shows and everything else. <laughs> the stuff for the theme park and all was never in the entertainment world. Miska, Muska, Mickey Mouse. Say it with me. But he yeah. can do it. He had he somebody he knew. I know, that, I know that story. Yeah. I, I yeah. heard that. Story. I know that guy's name too. And I can't remember it now. But oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing about our business. You know, lightning can strike. And lightning has certainly struck for me at certain points in my career too. Um, but the thing is entering into this business with a realistic perspective that yes, lightning can strike. Uh, but, you know, save your money when you make your money because you can make a, 
a huge amount of money in a month and then not work for two years. Like understanding the reality of the business is important. But yeah, I, I know that story. But yeah. And he just he just was able to do the voice perfectly. Perfectly. But Brian, I appreciate the time, but where can people find you if they want to search you out, whether it be social Yeah, media sure. Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm Brian Bremer on Facebook. You'll know it's me. There's a few of us on there, but I think I have a picture of an ocean as my profile picture. Uh, I'm at B Jordan Bremer on uh, Instagram. So follow me there. Uh, coming up in May, I'll be at FrankenCon in Knoxville, Tennessee. You can find it at frankencon.com. After that, I'll do Smoky Mountain Terror in Sevierville, Tennessee. That's in June. And then there's more coming up in the fall that I haven't, I can't remember. Oh, and the Carolina Fear Fest in May. Did we May. that out? Yeah. So what I, if you follow me on social, I try to promote where I'm going to actually be if people want to come meet me, but definitely, you know, connect with me on social and let's start a conversation about this thing that we, that we all love so much. And Jonathan, thank you again for your patience and for your time yes. today. I'm so and great. I'm not going to break your stones, but the, as far as the Facebook profile, I've only been waiting for a acceptance of the friend request. But oh no, I'll go. Oh no, I'll go find you right away. No, I'm trying to be better no, there, but yeah, I'll go. Yeah. Find you. No, I I tease, but no, it's all good. We, I'm glad to have become a friend of yours. I Same, would like to thank you. And, and I and really, I just appreciate everything. Knowing the guy behind the characters you know thanks buddy i appreciate it well i hope i get to see you again real soon and and just you know let we'll me make know. it work we'll make it work Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey there, it's Alan Troutman, Tarman from Return of the Living Dead. And if there's anybody you should listen to, it's me about listening to Crazy Train Radio. Go do it. Go away. Do it now. <laughs>